Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Back Country podcast. These are our shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you today, man? Doing good. Yeah, it's good. Well, it was a, a nice fall weekend, kind of rainy and cool all weekend here in Boise. Definitely made me extra excited for you coming out here next week and go chase some deer and elk. Yeah, super exciting. It's I mean, it happens every time, but it's like, holy cow, it's hard to believe that it's October and some September has passed us by. Oh, yeah. I've, I've given up any notion of uh, not just <laughs> expecting things to fly by. <laughs> it's just, it's just, every year goes by faster and faster. Yeah. Yeah. I had to crack up. Uh, who posted this? Somebody posted. Oh, Jake from Atomic Athlete. Um, <laughs> he hunted this year. I think he had like 10 days or so to hunt in Colorado and didn't fill a tag and he's i mean he's been an elk slayer uh so i think it hit him a little bit hard because he's been really consistent but he posted like a you know a meme type thing and it was bob ross you know like with a painting and a canvas Mm -hmm. and the caption was like a quick painting of the elk i didn't kill this year and it was just like a blank canvas (laughs) uh it just freaking cracked me up (laughs) (laughs) that's funny um yeah, a whole bunch of stuff we can get into, listener questions, things like that, some different topics that have come up. But first, to revisit something that uh, we said we were going to do quite a while ago, uh, but you finally got around to doing, Steve. You sent me a text. You were filling jet boil canisters with that little fuel transfer device. We said we were going to do that and talk about it. So what was uh, what was your experience? It's like life-changing. I, I literally was like, I was looking at all the canisters I got. Like, I, I now that I can make a full canister, I think I've got like a three-year supply uh, yeah. before I need to buy something again because it's there's a whole bin full of them. Uh, yeah, I just it was stupid easy. You just put the um, you have to reread the instructions, but the one that you want the fuel to transfer into, I believe you put in the freezer, and the one you want to transfer out of. You put out in the sun for a second and it was actually like 55 degrees and like not warm outside at all. Right. With the cloudy. But um, so I just put it in my pocket and then put the other one in the freezer. And after five minutes, you, you know, the little adapter thing says one, one in, one out. Right. Like, you know, which one's going which direction and then screw the two together, turn it on. And it takes seconds for all the fuel to transfer into the other one and you're done. It was like unbelievably easy. I know you have to be, there's something about, you can't, oh, you want to overfill the canister, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just kind of guessing. I didn't actually like weigh anything out and try to do math here. I was just like, well, this canister is definitely not, you know, past half full and this one's a third full. So I combined the two together. Uh, I should be fine. And yeah, mm-hmm. it seemed to work out, work out just fine. I within said, I guess it was, you know, uh, well, I did one canister swap and another, and then the last one I did two at one. Basically, you know, put two canisters in the freezer and this did it real quick. And mm. um, so, yeah, within, you know, half an hour, just kind of just playing, you know, going back and forth while I was doing other stuff around the house. All of a sudden, I had four full canisters. So, stupid easy. I think I bought it on Amazon for 15, 20 bucks, 10 bucks. I don't know. So, I mean, it's cheap. Yeah. Um, so, highly recommend it. Nice. Um, yeah <laughs> yeah it was pretty awesome i'll bug you to send me the amazon link so i can put it in the show notes not i'm i know that okay. there's a bunch of them out there if you search amazon but i was like at least sharing a link to something that you did try because we know at right. least remotely yeah right <laughs> yeah there, there was a bunch on there i'll just i'll log on the computer and send it right meow okay cool yeah going it i mean we did share uh again i'll pull up which monday minute episodes those were because we said we were going to do it but we also got some great feedback from you guys the listeners and then also our buddy dione who's done it a bunch of times so we did share some tips on this things like you know weighing and and more details um so i'll share links to those episodes as well if you guys are curious about taking those semi-empty jet oil canisters and filling them up so that's good stuff follow up to i went thursday i went hunting one last day for elk just tried to give it a hail mary shot and then i don't know one podcast i was talking about you need to when you're kind of doing those through hunts right you need to identify like what kind of in order to schedule out the hunt you need to figure out like your pace moving through country 
Mm-hmm. And then when I've never done this like um, consistently, but when born race guys were out, Eric was just running tracks all the time. And we ended up hunting kind of the same area multiple days. And it was interesting to like look at his tracks and then kind of like uh, see how we all, like, how close we were to where we were the other time, you know, stuff like that. But it was super helpful to just click on the track and then you get a summary of the day, like how many miles you hike, the duration and the elevation, right? Um, and I was like, ah, oh, that's a great, that, that's a great freaking tool to have to figure out and learn over time that like the pace you can move through country. Mm-hmm. Um, so just some something to throw out there for people. If if you've got if you're not on a 10 day backpacking hunt where you need to save every ounce of cell phone battery you can, you know, on, on that week when they were out, we were just hunting from the trailer. So we were able to recharge every night. Um, but it was just super handy. Yeah. And I just said I, I know for me, if I'm like a super slow kind of hiking and moving hunting pace would be a mile an hour. And then if uh, kind of a moderate pace, I can do two miles an hour, you know, and a lot of that depends on the, um, just the terrain as far as not so much elevation, but just like how much downfall, how thick it, it, how thick Mm -hmm. it is, things like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just found flip fuel, backpacking fuel transfer device, flipfuel.co. Um, uh, I guess it was 35 bucks. So definitely still worth it though. Okay, cool. I'll add the link. I like it. Um, and then another, I hadn't made a couple notes from that hunt. Um, one was, I've talked about this in the past, but when you're bow hunting, just like two to th- two, three, four times a day, knock an arrow and just draw back. Mm-hmm. Um, I normally do this mainly just for like muscle, you know, just cause you're, if you were just go to the archery range, like you're, you know, third, fourth and fifth shots are going to generally be better than your first couple. You know, it's just, you're getting warmed up, and especially on cold mornings. I'll knock an arrow, draw back a few times pick up you know a little leaf to hold on for 30 seconds out there at 50 yards things like that but on this hunt um i knocked an arrow i went to go do it and then i immediately like oh something my my knock had twisted so my veins were sitting wrong and, and i would have had absolutely had vein contact on the rest um i was like oh man thank god i you know i, I unfortunately didn't draw an arrow back on a elk that day but uh had i i would have been sol um so just a reminder, that's a, such a good tip to do is always just knock an arrow, draw back, check, check things, make sure everything's good. That made me want to ask too, what is, what did you do for arrow setup? Because I know that, you know, we've talked about the bow is not seen too much use and then you quite literally, as you said, dusted it off this summer. I'm assuming you went back to a, a tried and true arrow setup from years past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just run, been running that four millimeter FMJ. I still run the original solid broadheads that I uh, designed a long time ago, and um, I cut. Uh, my go-to is I cut that arrow as short as possible, so it's just half an inch out past the rest. And then vein-wise, I'm well, I'm running like a little white four-inch wrap with the um, the I think it's Flex Fletch Silent Knight three-inch, and I throw. I use a Bitsenberger fletching jig. I use the straight clamp, but then I put as much offset as I can and I end up getting really good results. Like I get a, a good solid helicle on there. And um, uh, yeah, that, it just works really, really well. So I actually would love to do a, we, um, it just came up multiple times this year talking with different people about basically broadhead flight right and all the things that go into it and there's just so many stinking misconceptions out there that Mm -hmm. uh i thought it'd be another we could just you and i could dive into that and talk about it for a while so um yeah there's just it's it's unbelievable how many different people you know i guess it's still the mentality of like well this broadhead didn't fly well so i grabbed a different broadhead and tried that one and they were grouping a little bit better and uh you know all all of those things that you hear are all um just misconceptions and, and like band-aids that are getting slapped on top of other band-aids trying to get good arrow flight when you really always just need to go back to the root cause and you just check off these 10 items got everything good whatever brought that you screw on there obviously some are going to um when you induce torque and wind are going to fly worse than others but you if you make a good shot um barring you, you know all these boxes are checked every broadhead should impact roughly in the same area 
um, certainly well within your own group. But anyways, yeah, it'd be a good podcast to just dive back into that topic and maybe sooner than later, since archery season's much more worthless, we're starting to wrap up. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it is a good topic because there is so much. On a, on one hand, there's like a few essential things you need to do, but then as you said, it gets overcomplicated in some ways. And then I definitely feel like people sometimes chase symptoms and not look at like root causes of things for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It's yeah, it would be a good topic to dive into. Yeah. And last but not least, my notes for this morning was <clears throat> I want to do a, I, told, I mentioned this to you, but I want to do an EXO like charity golf tournament next summer. Um, I, I love to golf. I know you enjoy golfing. Um, and I, I, started, I went golfing last week with my brother and uh, Jack from the warehouse. And I was like, God, that'd be really fun. We could do a cool event. So if anybody out there is like, got experience putting on a, a golf event, man, reach out to me. I'd love to get some advice and, and they'd be curious, like how many guys we could get to travel from out of state, you know, and come in, do a, do an all day event out of a golf course with like a, I don't know, I can imagine seminars and raffles and, you know, just something, just a cool fun day. Are we talking golf seminars or hunting seminars? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> uh, I'm sure we could all, all use an extra lesson or two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it would be fun i mean i yeah golfing i used to play more but definitely i'm like a once a year type guy now just as you said kind of like get out with family and stuff like that but yeah. it is fun and entertaining now that i uh i used to care too much right and like get frustrated yeah and, stuff, and now i just go out and have a bunch of fun so if we did a yeah. tournament it would certainly include some laughs that's for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely Nice. Well, um, what else? Oh, before we get into questions, there, uh, I put out a video. When was that? Last week on my rifle build. It came out um, after last week's podcast, so I didn't mention it. But I was, um, you know, as I said prior, I will do a video on my sheep hunting gear. But as I was thinking about that, it was I, I knew that if I posted a, a video on the sheep hunting gear and didn't talk about the rifle, I was going to get a lot of questions. And then I looked and it had basically been exactly one year since I had previously done an article on a podcast about the rifle that essentially I was shooting last year. So um, the article and podcast from last year was called Before You Build a Custom Rifle. And it talked about, you know, kind of what I've learned over the last handful of years and building a custom rifle and selecting components and um, essentially last year what I was really happy with. And then some of the things that I learned uh, and would want to have changed on the rifle that I built. And uh, ultimately, as I got to thinking about the things I wanted to change, I thought, all right, I'm just going to bite the bullet and do it. And I essentially sold the first rifle that I talked about from last year and then did a very similar build, but with some changes to basically build what was perfect to me for my needs, for what I wanted and so that's what I've been shooting the last year was actually a different rifle, again, a very similar configuration. But um, I went ahead and did a full video on that. It came out last week. So if you guys want to nerd out on that, again, I'll leave a link in the show description. You can check out that video and all those components. And yes, I'm still working on doing some sheep gear, sheep Q&A. We've had some good questions come in um, from the podcast. And honestly, I'm partially delaying for a couple of reasons one is it's still very busy but two is a there's a couple things that came out of my experience on that sheep hunt with gear and some questions i had and issues i had with some gear that i want better answers for and to kind of get quote unquote resolved before i talk about it so it's still coming if you guys happen to have been waiting but that rifle build video is out there if you want to check it out there'll be a link in the show description Steve, I'm not sure if you can answer this question. I feel like this is going to be a very boot-like question where personal preferences and unique needs, et cetera, are going to come into play. But I thought I'd at least throw it at you. You mentioned several episodes back. I think it was episode... Well, I don't know what episode it was. I don't want to say the wrong one. But you mentioned how important 
your mattress has been for your not just your sleep quality but for your back and then that mm-hmm. allowing you to perform better you know and not have back issues and someone reached out and was just very curious if you knew what mattress you had or would recommend but again i feel like this is very much a boot issue because some people are going to prefer or need softer firmer different types styles etc but all that said yeah what what do you want to share there i think it's a sealy posturepedic but then within that name is, you know, 20, you know, well, more, we got probably countless variants of firmness and styles yeah. and things like that. So yeah, that, um, yeah, you just, I think I went, um, I ordered that a lot of these mattresses have like a hundred night, you know, sleep on and test or whatever. And I do believe I went through one that was like, yeah, this doesn't work. This is as as bad or worse than my the 15 year old mattress i had prior to this but um yeah then i found that then i got this one and it, it's just been night and day for me yeah and and not that i, I mean i still have to like sleep in the fetal position with a pillow between my legs and i got a neck kind of a um memory foam like neck pillow it's a contoured pillow um and so that combination i found is what works best for me so but i it's it, to your point there about like, it's kind of like a boot thing. Um, I, I do think there's like what well, my advice on boots, right? Don't stop until you find something that is like, you shouldn't have uncomfortable feet. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there should be something out there for you. That's going to work that to where at the end of a long, hard day, you know, you get back to the truck and you're just not like, Oh God, I can't wait to get my boots off. Right. Like you should, should be to the point where you just get back to the truck and, like that, it shouldn't be the first on your mind. Like, you know, half an hour later, like, Oh yeah, take my boots off and let my, let my feet air out type thing. That's where your foot comfort should be. In my opinion, I think the same thing you could be said for this mattress with my lower back is just keep trying until you find one that works for you. Yeah. Cause it's not, like I said, I knowing what I know now, I would pay, you know, $25,000 for Matt, like to not wake up every morning and just be like, Oh God, you know, where it takes half an hour to like get going to wake up where I'm like pretty much kind of jump out of bed and feel like I'm 20 again. Um, that that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. That's it. In the broader, this isn't hunt specific, obviously, but in the broader podcast world, there's so many of the common like advertisements and sponsors of like, oh, try AG one. Right. And I, I oh. feel like at least for a while, there's a lot of mattress companies doing that too. So it's the first time we've ever talked about mattresses on the podcast, but it has nothing to do with having a podcast ad. <laughs> I think like <laughs> Nectar and Purple and a bunch of those like more direct to consumer online mattress companies use podcast advertising. Heavily. Everybody listening to this is also going to have like mattress ads pop up yeah. on their social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, yeah. The world we're in. Yeah. All right. Back to hunting. This uh, guy had some good questions via SpeakPipe, and it's more about transitioning from uh, a little bit from archery elk season to rifle elk season, which is what we're in the middle of doing personally even. So uh, let's go ahead and take the SpeakPipe question and uh, see what we can pull from it. Mark and Steve, thank you for your podcast that helps hunters like me, especially guys here on the Midwest and East Coast who are uh, trying to become Western hunters have two questions for you in regards to my hunt this year. I'll be headed to Colorado for a first rifle season elk hunt. I have hunted Colorado and Montana in the past, but for archery season. I was curious how your clothing uh, list changed between archery and first rifle. And second would be in regards to shooting setup. I have been practicing with the uh, Wiser Precision Quick Sticks and Quick Clip. found those to be very helpful but was also curious about the benefits of a tripod, looking possibly at the Asiac tripod, and was curious on how much of a difference you would see uh, in practicing with those, as I want to be the most successful I can be, especially from a guy in Southeast Ohio, where most of our, our long shots on deer are 100 to 150 yards at most. I appreciate your help and all the feedback you provide to, to help all of us become better hunters. All right. Great questions. Uh, good topics. One thing I think is helpful to like start with big picture, especially as we talk about clothing, for example, with quote unquote rifle elk is 
obviously there's always the the variability of what's going to happen in the mountains. You don't necessarily know what those conditions are, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But you know, rifle elk in general can span a lot of different times. So he mentioned first rifle, just to provide context on that, that is right at uh, mid-October. I want to say the season date's going to start right around the 14th or so of October um, for Colorado. But, you know, just to highlight that, like even say mid-October to mid-November, winter is coming, moving, shifting. So again, as we get to talk about clothing for rifle elk, there's going to be a huge difference between an early rifle hunt and then potentially a true late season rifle hunt. So that's just a big caveat. We'll probably focus Steve more on what's relevant to him with first rifle because that's generally the dates that we're kind of hunting as well as mid-October. But just to start there, clothing, what, again, there's going to be variability. Feel free to talk about that. But big picture, what changes from archery elk to mid-October rifle elk for you in terms of clothing? I almost want to rephrase that of what changes when it, I mean, you're obviously just implying that the weather is going to be colder, but it could mm-hmm. certainly be the case that I'll, you know, I'm just, I'm planning my hunt around the weather that's predicted. Um, and it's obviously I, I have my a little bit trickier if you're out of state, obviously you got to come with everything, but you're regardless of warm or cold, you're coming for the worst case scenario. Um, but I mean, everything I do is just checking the weather like prior to the the hunt right like uh you know you're coming out next week like i'll be probably starting the middle of this week start checking like ah just kind of what's the general trend that it's going towards because that'll dictate some hunt decisions potentially and mm-hmm. then obviously the the night the, the the day before as i'm throwing all my final gear together there's certainly a weather check there of um you know okay oh yeah it's gonna be you know four inches of snow on night two that obviously changes everything and sometimes it's like eh, i'm not sure which direction it's going to go so everything's going in the tote and when i get to the trailhead i'll make a game time decision so it's not time of year which obviously you know is related to weather but it certainly could be the case where like last year october opener was you know 80 degrees it was hotter for rifle opener than it was the last week of september yeah, it was um, super hot so just keep that in mind if you know I think some guys would default to, oh, I'm going on a late October deer hunt. I need all this stuff and they're packing it regardless. And it's like, well, don't just pay attention to the weather. You don't need to pack gaiters and puffy pants and, you know, all this stuff for cold weather if the weather's not calling for like it Mm -hmm. uh, outside of Alaska. Things are pretty dang, you know, it's not going to go from they saying it's 70 degrees to all of a sudden it's it's 25 degrees. Right. That doesn't happen. Um it's it's going to be fairly predictable maybe they, they're off by the you know amount of precipitation that happens or something like that but that would be the extreme variable um so yeah i mean it, nothing that all that all being said everything's simple man i mean um merino wool socks long johns i i like to wear I've found it more beneficial to have a lightweight, thinner pant that's going to dry out a lot quicker, uh, especially on a backpack hunt. If you're day hunting, it's not as much of an issue, but something that can dry quick. So if I if I'm going into the sleeping bag at night and I'm I'm wet, it's going to dry out quickly. And then use long johns to provide the warmth instead of, um, you know, it's very common for companies to have like a early season pant and a, a late season warmer pant, and I just completely avoid that late season warmer pant altogether and just hunt in um a lightweight pant that's that's thin and gonna dry quickly so that's my pants if it's really cold um you know for me it'd have to be the high is 30 and it's gonna be you know single digits to low teens then i then i'll throw in puffy pants for you know sitting around and and depending on the type of hunt if it's an elk hunt i wouldn't do this because i'm going to be active but if it's a, a mule deer hunt where I'm going to be sitting in glass and a lot, then I, then I throw in those puffy pants and then, you know, it's a base layer. Uh, those kind of bounce around for me, um, depending on whether it's Merino or a, a poly synthetic, a mid layer. And then the puffy jacket would change depending on the temperatures as well. So again, that really cold, uh, I saw the first light Chamberlain jacket, which is, you know, that thing's a furnace. Um, and, uh, if it's really cold, I'll throw that on 
But other than that, you know, I've got a couple kind of lighter weight puffies, that Stellar one that I've worn and, and shown in videos a handful of time. I still use that. Canis has a really nice kind of mid puffy jacket that I've, I was just packing. Well, I've packed it all this September. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I've got another outdoor vitals, like ultralight kind of hoodie too, that all between those three, I kind of, depending on what the weather is and what I feel like I'll pack. So, yeah. um, and then rain gear again, always remains entirely optional. That's, that's always in my truck. Um, and just check the weather and it's, you know, uh, even if, it, if it's warm with a slight chance of precipitation, I don't bother packing it because I don't mind getting a little wet. And then uh, if it's cold, you know, like in the 40s, 50s, and it's going to rain, and then yeah, I'll throw in the rain jacket. And then it's got to really be nasty weather for me to throw in rain pants. Mm-hmm. Gloves. Um, I've got those. Um, well, if it's cold, I have the thicker kind of thinselit merino, or they're not merino, they're rag wool gloves. That I've, I think I, you can buy them on Amazon or the ones I got. I think I bought a couple pairs last time I had. This was 10 years ago at Sportsman's Warehouse. And then I've got those um, oh, mechanics gloves, mechanics wear gloves that I use um, that I, I've shown in some of the gear videos here recently. And I, I love those things. So th- those come with me regardless. Of if Even if it's hot, I, I like having those for getting into technical terrain and using your checking poles and things like that. Um, and then a beanie, uh, if it's cold, if not, I just use my hat and every, I like to have hoods on all of my, my base layer and my mid layer. Just to me, it's a, uh, it's sun protection, it's bug protection, and then it's also heat. There's just a, no downside to having that hood there. Nice. Yeah. For me, it's, it's very similar, almost again, saying mid October, maybe mid to late October rifle hunts compared to archery. Almost nothing changes fundamentally. It's just a matter of what does the forecast say and then what am I bringing? But the same thing could happen in September. There's times in September I could be packing puffy pants and there's most of the time that I'm not and could be very similar for October. The only thing is maybe the probability of me packing them changes. But that decision on what am I bringing or what gear am I choosing doesn't really change. So for me... I mean, you covered it, Steve, but just like reiterate, my boots don't change, my socks don't change, my pants don't change, having a base layer bottom doesn't change, uh, my base layer doesn't change, my mid layer doesn't change, my puffy jacket typically doesn't change. Uh, that's about it. So it's like, do I pack puffy pants or not? Do I pack warmer gloves or not? I usually bring a beanie either way. Um and then, as always, as you said, like, do I pack rain gear or not? Which has less to do, obviously, with temps and more with precip. But it's literally just yeah. those couple of things. Like, yeah, puffy pants, gloves, rain gear. That's about it. But I'm always making those decisions essentially all the way through September and then into typically into mid and sometimes into late October. I feel like, obviously, once you get into later into November, a true late season hunt, then there's a lot more weather to potentially deal with and you may be making some changes. Um, but yeah, it's very, very simple for me anyway. He talked a bit about shooting support as well. He mentioned a few different things, um, such as the quick sticks. He mentioned a lightweight tripod, etc. One thing um, I want to reiterate, I see this come up a lot and it depends how you phrase the question. Then this question and thought gets phrased a lot of different ways but obviously we've talked a lot about shooting from the quick sticks and so people question you know do you do you have them do you pack them should you have a tripod etc so like just from a super big picture i just want to like step back from products and think with like a little bit of base logic here for a second and i don't mean this to be insulting i just like again step back and forget everything about products you should have trekking poles if you're hunting and potentially packing something out in particular. If you're hunting in the mountains, potentially packing an animal out, you should have trekking poles. At the point at which you have trekking poles, you should have quick sticks if you're ever going to be rifle hunting, period. Like there's no penalty to them. They're not adding a bunch of weight. They're not expensive. There's just essentially no reason to not have them. If you already have trekking poles, which you should, and if you're going to rifle hunt at all. So like eliminate this whole idea of, hey, should I have quick sticks? 
and just say yes <laughs> like if i'm rifle hunting <laughs> and i have trekking poles you should have quick sticks so it doesn't like there's no i give zero mental energy to should i have quick sticks or not i just do right because i already have the trekking poles and i'm rifle hunting and they're light and cheap so should you have quick sticks yes that's as easy as that goes <laughs> and i'm not saying that to sell anything i just they're so freaking valuable and useful and there's no penalty to them it's just a no-brainer that's how i look at it so then the question becomes well, what about a tripod okay well do you have a tripod anyway like maybe you don't maybe you do but think again ignore shooting for a second and think am i going to have a tripod i'm not saying what type of tripod or which tripod i'm just saying am i going to have a tripod and maybe for elk you're not maybe if you're mule deer hunting you are maybe if it's spring bear you are etc so like for this upcoming trip steve for just to use it as an example we have elk and deer tags i know we're going to spend a decent chunk of time glassing um whether it's for a spotter or just the stability of binos less fatigue of hand holding binos or putting myself in a elbows on knees position of binos like i'm going to want a lightweight tripod again a lightweight tripod for this upcoming hunt for example same would be for like spring bear because i know i'm going to be relying on the, a spotting scope i'm going to want to have a tripod so at this point i have a rifle and yes i already know i have quick sticks we covered that and i know i'm going to want a tripod for optics so then it's just a matter of thinking is my tri is my rifle capable of shooting from that tripod or not and in my case it is and i want it to be so i just think there's a lot less debate on do you need quick sticks do you need a tripod etc in terms of shooting support it's not about what you have it's about what you can do with what you have and so if you have quick sticks know how to shoot from them if you have a tripod whether it's for a spotter, for binos, whatever, if there's a capability of attaching your rifle to that tripod and shooting from it, what is your capability with it? You need to know how to deploy those items, how to create stable shooting positions from those items. And so I just think it truly is a lot less about should you carry this, should you carry that, and more about just practicing to have capabilities with the tools that you already have. So, I mean, going into this hunt, again, for example, I'm going to have my quick sticks. I'm going to have a lightweight tripod primarily for the use of glassing and I will have the capability to shoot from it. So I just think there's a lot less should you and more what can you do with what you have. I don't know if that makes sense, but I just see this come up so much and I feel like people get lost in the weeds and the gear and don't think like bigger picture, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What do you... Have yeah. you... Uh, run that asiac much now steve um i haven't i took it um let's see what rob had that early rifle tag i took it out that weekend and then all of september i didn't run a tripod once uh because we're just elk hunting you know running and gunning through the woods yeah and then i've used it a few times like say at my house when i was you know we've been you know testing optics things like that um, but actually out in the field, I've got one night of experience with it. So I have, um, you know, obviously it's a super light tripod, so it, it sacrifices some things, but overall I've incredibly impressed with it. It's, um, to me, it's extremely close to like the slick 624 and stability. Um, the construction seems nice, but it's also, you know, I think with that Nighthawk head on there, what am I? One pound, 11 ounces. I mean, it's crazy light, mm -hmm. um, for what, for what you're getting out of that package, you know, a, a good, stable, lightweight tripod. Um, again, I can't speak to long-term durability, but I don't really see anything that's too concerning to me. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and that Nighthawk head is obviously, you know, again, there's sacrifices going ultra light, but man, that's for, the six ounces of that thing weighs it it can run a pretty big spot or pretty dang smoothly so um yeah yeah i think for me on rifle support i've got a bipod a rear bag the quick sticks like you said are just there regardless and then a tripod would be one that would just be i wouldn't 
I don't think I would pack it if I wasn't planning on sitting and glassing a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say like maybe um, a, a rifle elk hunt where you know, like where we've been hunting the last few years. We don't really sit down and glass and elk are big bodied animals. You don't got to like pick the terrain apart like you would for mule deer. So that would be kind of like, yeah, maybe depend. Like if I got a bunch of other gear and weight in the pack, then maybe I would leave the tripod back. But um, most importantly is getting out and practicing in the mountains, shooting and knowing when and how to use those things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause the, even the quick sticks, you know, you can run it as a front support. You can run as a rear support. Uh, you can run them low. You can run them high. I mean, those, those things have a million different ways you can run them and and help get your rifle stable. But if you don't ever practice that, you're not going to know. Like if you just, you know, screw those things on your uh, trekking poles at home and kind of like maybe maybe even you put your rifle on it in your living room and you know dry fire on the wall or something. Um, like still, you need to get out in the mountains and practice with that stuff and and have the experience because it's. If you don't, then you're, you know, it's, yeah, you're not taking even remotely close to using those things to its potential. And then a bipod, like a bipod is probably the least likely to be used. It's great to have, but the the times that you can get lane prone uh, up in the mountains, it just seems to be pretty stinking rare. Um, but I, I want, if that option presents itself, I want it because that's the ability to produce, you know, the, the best shot possible right low to the ground and nice and stable so um, yep. and then just same with the tripod just obviously that's going to be um you know obviously that's more time consuming um you know just i, I do remember that bear you know those two bear big bears we killed where i set up and was going to glass that hill in case the bear you know squirted out a different direction and then you went up to get closer and that other one popped out and I was just sitting there like, I'm going to get the tripod out because it's a 400 something yard potential shot. And I could, I got all the time in the world to get this set up and get it balanced properly and get my pack, you know, into my chest so I can kind of brace the rear of the rifle. And, um, man, I was on a pretty stinking steep slope shooting kind of quartered uphill across Canyon. And I could have made that shot a hundred out of a hundred times, right? Like I got having that tripod there and just getting rock solid set up was pretty dang awesome, but that just takes time. So yeah. um, again, knowing how to use the stuff and then when to deploy is absolutely critical. Um, I, mean, I, I talked about that on that. Oh, when we did the recap of my rifle elk hunt last year for that um, series, we did breaking down a hunt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I knew, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to freehand the shot and I, I just knew instantly based off of practice and the terrain that was in front of me and the shot that was most likely to be presented, the quick sticks were the answer. Uh, I didn't even think for one second about like bipods immediately out of it. Tripod is too slow. This is going to be a fast shot. The quick sticks are the answer. Um, and so that made that decision really easy, but that came through practice and experience. Yeah. This is, a. Uh related but very unrelated if you are hunting with someone and whether you have a tag and they don't or vice versa or you both do or what have you when it comes time for a shot opportunity uh this sounds so like redundant but be helpful and what i mean by that is Hmm. like i can think of even this year spring bear steve like we knew i was gonna shoot that bear and when it came time to we closed the distance from it was like six whatever and you know we we were closing the distance down this steep loose hillside and got to a spot where it was going to be a good vantage point good spot to take a shot like those seconds of going from hiking to set up and shooting we were both working and we were working together um like kicking out the hillside creating a flat spot getting out the quick stick setting them up like it saved so much time that you and i both kind of knew what we were trying to do in that moment and how to set up for a shot and what was needed. And again, that isn't always the case, but just think through that. And maybe that's something you do if you're going on a hunt with somebody is understand what they want from a shooting position or in in that type of moment and vice versa, like have that conversation. And that's something you could almost rehearse even a little bit in the field. And again, this may sound very like basic, but I 
would venture to guess there's a lot of times where the shooter's on his own and the guy who's with him may be there and maybe wants to be helpful. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he doesn't know what to do to be helpful. And so sometimes it's like getting the quick sticks out. Sometimes it's like looking for a rest. Sometimes it's getting something out of the way, et cetera. Um, just as we were, as I was thinking about deploying quick sticks, it made me think of mm. how many times that's been helpful. Like you and I hunting together. And again, cause we know what we're trying to do. We know what each other use and how we shoot a little bit. Like we've been very efficient to get set up very quickly because we've been able to kind of like tag team that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly a good hunting partner can be worth a lot. That's for sure. All right. Last one, Steve. Uh, this guy wrote in and said, I'm thinking about getting a pair of the 16 power Zulu 6 image stabilizing binos from SIG and ditching a tripod on all archery elk hunts. Side note, Steve, you just mentioned you didn't carry a tripod at all during archery elk. I don't either. So that right there is something to think about. But again, dependent on the country. Back to his email. He says, if I did this, I may not even carry the 10s that I normally carry on my chest. So I would just have the 16 power Zulu 6s and then my 5 power rangefinder for quick glassing if I'm in closer. Any thoughts on that? Do you think those 16s would be enough optic for mule deer hunting without taking a spotter as well? And then he concluded by saying, I'm a newer hunter and not looking for big deer. All I care is if they are a legal buck. So he did throw two different quite different mm-hmm. scenarios out there, archery elk and then deer hunting, potentially even rifle deer. Um, but thoughts on the Zulu sixes is kind of like a primary optic, whether that's replacing tens on his chest. Also mentioned replacing spotter. I ran the 12 by 42s all elk season. Um, I guess I spent nine days, four, four, nine, ten days in the field. Um, and I, I yeah, they are freaking amazing um at like what you can do with them right like they're uh they'll be able to lock in have that stable image you know it's the the way i describe it to people is they're a you know they're a mediocre optic and in the quality of glass that's in there as far as the image that produces the field of view things like that but they're essentially every time you pull them up they're on a tripod which if anyone's glassed through binoculars on a tripod understands just how amazing that is um and yeah i ran so i ran them all september and just freaking love them i still i personally have a dilemma on you know like when you come out next week i don't know i'll pack them but i'll also throw some 10 by 42s like i'll probably throw those in my lid and then have the zoo sixes on the chest so when we're out hiking and moving i've got those um and you're certainly like you are uh, yeah 1000 percent going to see more game when you're hiking and moving having those zulus than having regular binoculars like no question because you can stop and you know i was elk hunting a lot of burn country where the elk can really you know disappear in that stuff and um you just throw those up and you click it onto the lock feature and man i mean you're just picking that picking that all the little gaps between the trees apart like you know it's it's incredible um the i'm gonna ramble on here man so yeah first question that he, he was talking about like other than packing a tripod elk hunting like what my immediate is like why are you packing a tripod if you're elk hunting because you're not unless you're you know hunting really open sagebrushy country where you are glassing frequently you know right archery elk hunting is being mobile um elk or big bodied animals you don't really need to like pick apart the terrain much i think you know those those 16s or the i really enjoy the 12s frankly um they're they're gonna absolutely cut it for everything that you need to do as far as just locating and finding elk and then on a mule deer hunt you know if he's the 16s would be pretty ideal um if he's not you know he just said he's not worried about you know what is that buck 165 or 173 uh it's just is it a legal buck yeah those things are going to be incredible for you so you could definitely pack those and just rock them i'm still i'm still figuring out i know i'm going to use those things in the future you know going forward just when and where do i use them i'm just going back to these rifle supports like you know i know when and where to use certain different support options i'm not exactly sure where to use these 
Zulu sixes in every scenario. And it's, you know, um, obviously being backpacking focused weight is an issue. So you can't just, you know, I'm not just always going to pack a, a extra set of, you know, 10 by 42 pures in the, in the pack for when I sit down on glass. So trying to find that balance between the two. Um, but, uh, they are incredible. Like I can't, I, I have to, I don't know this at all, but I would imagine like, like a Zeiss swirl, these, they these companies are working on something when, when they come out with one that's like, you know, swirl quality glass, but you still, then you, you can throw on the image stabilizer on top of that. Holy crap. That's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah. It is interesting to think through because they open up a lot of different capabilities in a way, and then also have some limitations. It's like, where is that sweet spot? Um, yeah. And I think some of that, like even go back to this guy's question, make sure you're thinking through your hunting style and terrain right like at what distance at what distances are you typically classing you know that's going to help with magnification of course because he mentions the 16s but maybe he just needs the 12s and then obviously just going back to as you said steve like the the main benefit of these image stabilizing binos is glassing on the move and if you tend to cover a lot of country and want to pick it apart as you go these as you said steve are going to help you see a lot more game but if that's not your style and you tend to sit and be stationary and glass and grid from support, then what are you gaining by having stabilized binos? Because you're creating stability. So just, you know, again, don't get lost in the details and think big picture about which one of those is going to fit your needs best, your preferences, your hunting style, your terrain type thing. Yeah. That, uh, and I went out Thursday last week, I was kind of headed one direction and then a bull bugled like, across from me and I ranges a thousand yards and it was like, you know, probably a five, 600 foot drop down, you know, we were on the same level, but there's like a five, 600 foot drop between us. Um, but I pulled up those 12s and I, I bugled and then, uh, pull up the binos and look, and I literally see him bugle and like lick his lips and then put his head down <laughs> and start walking. I mean, he's like, it was like watching, it was cause it's so stable. It's like watching it on the television, you know, like it was so clear. Um, and, uh, the, he was down for me. I, I couldn't beat him to the bottom to, to get the wind in my favor. So that didn't work out, but, yeah. um, it was pretty incredible because you certainly would not have seen that, you know, um, with just, if I was just had my, you know, eight by 42 vinyls that I normally have around my chest. So I think those do the same, like they're where they're going to help too, is like when you're, you know, traveling, say on a mule deer hunt and you're traveling to a, a glassing point. And you just, you know, it's how often you're like, oh, that kind of looks good up there. You know, and you throw up the binos real quick, but you're, you're breathing hard and you're kind of shaky and you give it a quick glance. Eh, I don't see anything. And you keep on moving because you can't, you have to balance. Like if you've got country to cover, you can't just stop and pick everything apart all the time. But those are, you're really going to like pick up some kind of extra animals, bonus animals along, all along the way. And you never know if, you know, all of a sudden that could be a, Next week, that could be a 180 bucks stand in there that we would have just walked right by. Like, I know that's going to, you pack those around long enough, you're going to, you're definitely going to get some extra animals that you just would have not seen otherwise. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, I want to talk, we'll talk about your Hanvog experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk, <laughs> I'm processing. I was going to include this a little bit in the, like I mentioned, the sheep gear video, but, mm. um, yeah, I've, worn the Hanvogs, Alverstones, and the Mako Treks a lot uh, and talked about them a whole lot. And um, I I have three pairs of the Alverstones because they just fit my feet so well and I love them so much. And they're like the no-brainer boot for me of kind of any condition, any terrain. I put them on, never have blisters, never have issues. You know, just they just flat out work for my feet. And so I thought like they were the perfect boot, right? Like I was done chasing stuff and like I still tinker and try, but essentially like on any hunt, I'm like, I just trust these. Mm -hmm. So um, I had two pairs and one was pretty worn. One had a lot of life left, but was, you know, had some use, like I used it on my mountain goat hunt and a lot of hunts last fall, but it still had pretty good life. And then in the off season over this past winter, I was like, oh, I'm going to get, another pair and just do like minimal break in minimal training with them 
Um, and I say break in, I don't even think they need break in because I broke your pair and Steve by packing out an elk and never had an issue like out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was like, I'm going to get a fresh pair, have very minimal miles on them, you know, kind of in anticipation of my sheep hunt and going up and having like really good waterproofing, construction, comfort. Like they just have a lot of life, right? For the sheep hunt. And uh, in the sheep hunt, like a few days in, um, it started feeling a little bit weird, like back in my Achilles area, kind of like at the the base of what I would call like the upper um, but back's like above my heel pocket, but just a little bit. It was feeling a little bit weird, but you know, I was more focused on the hunting and it wasn't bugging me terribly. Um, it just felt different because I'm so used to those boots that any irregularity felt weird. Anyway, I just ignored it. Uh, was more focused on the hunt than the boots. Didn't pay attention. Um, and then it consists, it consistently happened through the week and kind of got worse. And I looked and the that basically just they fell apart it's the only way to put it um i don't know if it is a one-off or they had construction issues but both boots on both sides of essentially my achilles there's a seam um that gave away and so like the whole upper portion of that boot kind of lost some structure and integrity and it was like sagging down and and feeling not good and then it's, they're just wide open like a seam. So any moisture, anything else could be penetrating there. Um, and so, yeah, I was like bummed by that because I've had, you know, really good luck with these boots. And again, these were essentially a brand new pair that I saved for this hunt. And within a few days of hunting, they were falling apart. And uh, yeah, I was bummed by that. So, but whatever. I mean, stuff happens. So I, I got back from the hunts and sent them an email because I'd only owned this pair of boots for a few months and hardly had any miles on them. They have, a, I think, a one-year warranty is what they advertise. Anyway, sent them an email with photos, went through their warranty form. And like I realized a week went by and I never heard anything. And then I sent an other, another email, never heard anything. And again, I'm like, whatever, it's hunting season. Maybe they're you know, busy, out, whatever. So t- more time went by. I called them like they were incredibly difficult to get a hold of on the phone. Uh, finally got a hold of them on the phone. Didn't really get much more information. Was told I was going to have a response by email with like instructions or how they're going to take care of it. Kind of never did. And essentially, long story short, it took about almost a month, like right under a month, over three weeks for them to essentially email me and tell me I have to send the boots back in for them to look at and if they have availability to replace them with the same thing they will and it can take up to a month for that and then if they don't have availability they'll call me with options so i don't know like i'm not trying to throw shade at hanbog they've been fantastic boots but just as like an average consumer and partially because i have talked about these boots so much and i know that a lot of people have chosen hanbog boots in part because of what I've said about them. I'm not trying to throw shade at them, but I'm also just want to be like fully open that I've been pretty freaking disappointed with their customer service. So I am somewhat cautious to be like, hey, I don't know if you ever have an issue with their boots. Like, I don't know how well they're going to take care of you. Like, especially if I was a if I was a guy who this was my primary pair of hunting boots and I didn't have, you know, a whole (laughs) too many shelves of hunting boots because of my history and like i had I was going from like a hunt to a hunt or something like they just weren't they had zero sense of wanting to take wanting care to take care of you like, yeah. and responsively and i literally had to do multiple 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 follow-ups to even get an answer and now i'm like sending them back on my dime i just wasn't impressed so again i'm not throwing shade i don't know anybody at hanvog all i have at least six pairs of their boots and I've paid for all of them. So this isn't like a, there's no like sour quote unquote relationship because I don't know anybody there. It's just because I have talked about them so much. I also just want to be transparent with like making recommendations of gear and then also saying when I have a bad experience with some things. Yeah. 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 yeah I haven't heard the, I knew your boots fell apart and then all I got with text was from you was man, Hanbog's customer service is freaking terrible. And yeah. so I, I did not know the rest of the story other than that, that detail. So, yeah. And I was yeah, just, like, just, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of it through like the EXO standpoint. Like somebody emails us and has an issue, you're not going to go a freaking week without an answer and then have to bug us again. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And the, yeah, it's just, yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty poor. But I also like now that you see, see the return label, I know they're owned by, um, yeah, they're not. Uh, yeah, they're not an independent Outdoor. company. Yeah, there's yeah. like a Falry. I think it's Falraven. Like, there's a handful of companies under their umbrella, and I think there's like one North American office that like handles all these different companies. Because obviously, Hanvogs themselves mm-hmm. are like over in Europe. So it's just, mm-hmm. I think, a typical case of not having a very good personal investment in the customer per se if you want mm-hmm. to put it that way so yeah what a bummer yeah hmm. that's that so i'm gonna it's, it's even more of a stinger when you've got something you like so much i know because you know, like, yeah. <laughs> if you got happy feet you want to stick with it but it definitely makes it tough when you you know because issues happen man like issues no matter happen. what like as even here at exo like we you know, we do everything we can to QC everything, you know, as, as, as much as possible. It goes through three, four different QC checks before it gets shipped out the door between different people touching it. Uh, stuff happens. Stuff slips through the cracks, you know. Uh, yep. Bob and Stitch gets uh, not applied correctly. Um, and then, you know, someone has an issue and we just, you just got to take care of it, right? Like, uh, you have to have customer service to back up your product. Yeah. So, hmm. yeah, I don't like, I went from, I'm just going to own like these boots, you know, and like keep running, running these boots and not only because of the customer service, but also like I obviously trust them a little bit less construction wise now because I had an issue that quick out of the box that now I'm back to like, I thought I had the perfect pair of boots for my feet that would never give me issues. And maybe that's the case, but it's like, mm-hmm. now do I trust them? Right? Like I, I almost feel like I need to start considering other options again, which I, I was at a point where I wasn't. Uh, yeah. So yeah, more time. I, yeah, I would think it's more of an outlier unless they've, you know, unless these boots were made in some new facility that they were, right? You know, because of demand and or trying to get things produced cheaper on their end that they changed facilities or something. But yeah, it worked. It was both boots, right? Like not one. Yeah, one yeah, that's true. One side, it was like the right boot and yeah. the left boot both in the same place on both sides, hmm. but. Yeah, I bought. Um, I was running some Scarpa, um, kind of hiking shoes, and they. I've got maybe seventy miles on them, and they just started falling apart. Like it's got like a rubber rand where it meets like this light or lighter synthetic fabric, and it's just on that last Thursday hunt. I came home and there's like an inch and a half kind of gap where it's you know that rand is like pulled away from the fabric, and I'm like I guess mm-hmm. well I'll test Scarpa's customer service here because I don't you know it's one thing if I've got a whole season on something I'm like okay whatever, but when I've yeah. got literally four or five days in the mountains hunting on them. Like guys shouldn't have issues that quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. See what happens. Yeah. I feel like we need to end happy. I don't know. We're going hunting. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the season where you got, you got a mule deer tag. I got a mule deer tag. You got an elk tag. And then if we kill all three of those, then we can pack up and head to a different zone where I've got a rifle elk tag. So yeah. um, there's a potential for four animals to die um, starting next week, which could be could be a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. and We're debating going old school for me anyways and filming the whole thing, do a video out of it. It's, um, yeah, it'll be a decision here we make in the next few days if we're going to do it or not. But, yeah. <laughs> you was it like a week or two ago <laughs> you're like you called me about something else but then you're like oh by the way in terms of us hunting you may want to take it easy after your sheep hunt but i really want to i don't know i can't say what you said because i'm trying to keep this family <laughs> but you basically were like i want to grind ourselves into the dirt and like get after it so you were like advanced head warning of i know you had a tough sheep hunt in alaska but i really want to grind <laughs> ourselves into the dirt I'm like all right I'm yeah gonna- well, my September was all like day, day hunts, man. I didn't backpack one single night. You know, that opening weekend, I took my boy out and was hunting out of a kind of a base camp with the family. And then um, I went out for a week solo, but that we talked about, like I was trying to scout for when Born and Race came out. So it was, uh, I basically had a home base and then I was just running, you know, 20 miles this way, 30 miles that way from that area, checking out country. And then Born and Race guys were here. Um, we just day hunted. And then, uh, yeah, anyways, I'm very, very anxious to, to get out and get some nights under the stars in the baby sack. 
Yep. Let's get after it. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, if you have questions for us, send those via email to podcasts at exomountgear.com, or you can also leave an audio message like you heard on today's episode. Just look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. I'd love to hear from you and answer the questions you have. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app, and we'll talk to you soon.